last week we began to look at how the children of Israel were returning to the land. And we began to look at how God had provided the wealth and the articles from the temple and all of these things that had been taken, but yet they were restored. And we looked at the similarities between how as they went to go back to Israel, how it was very uh, symbolic of how it was with the children of Israel, that they were giving them all the things when they were leaving Egypt. And so tonight, though, I want to try to do something a little different. And and you, you, you know that I do not like uh, audience participation very much. Um, one, of, one of two reasons. Uh, one, I hate getting asked questions that I don't know. And two, you never know when there's a nut in the bunch, right? And uh, I've been in enough testimony services and prayer meetings to know that almost always most people have the best intentions at heart, but there's usually somebody, right? that hijacks it, makes it all about them, and you just want to throw the mic at them. And you might be thinking that's what you feel about me every Wednesday night, but I do want to just kind of, uh, I want to hear from you tonight because in my Sunday school class that I am teaching, we are literally looking at, um, we started out looking at what it takes to be saved, how to pray for your lost friends and family, how to share the gospel with your lost family and friends, how to answer those questions when they say, well, why is the Bible true? And then we begin to look at after that, if they've been one to Christ and they believe the Bible is the Word of God, the next step is to find a Bible-believing church. And so we have been looking at the things that we like about church and we are wading through about two of those a week, whether it's a strong children's ministry, biblical preaching, accountability, and talking about ways to do it better. Because let's just be honest, accountability in church is pretty much not a thing. Uh, But we're trying to talk about how do we become more accountable. And then when we get through the strengths, we have a list of things that that are struggles for churches. Things that we don't like, cliques and different things. And we're just walking through each and every one of those so that at least there's four couples in our church that know what the church is supposed to look like. And um, But we're really trying to do that. And, And a little bit of that I want to do tonight with you as we are coming back into this chapter, the second chapter here, there are 67 verses, uh, and I'm not going to read all 67 of those, but it gives specific names and families of people who came back to the promised land. And I want to point out some groups of people because tonight I want to talk to you about how God will provide the people, He will provide the provisions, and He will provide the praise, and He will provide the promises that you and I need to accomplish what He has for us. And so if you uh, have your Bible, in the second chapter, we're just going just gonna to skim through there, and you can read all these names when you get home. But in chapter 2, verse 36, it says, "...the priests, the sons of Jediah, of the house of Jeshua..." 973. So the first group of people that God begins to send back are the priests. The priests are the people who are required to offer the sacrifices, to lead the worship. And I want to correlate this tonight with how God builds His church. How God is really building true churches. 
And so he provides this group of people that were supposed to lead worship. The second group I want to show you tonight, if you go down to verse 40, the Levites, the son of Jeshua and Kadamiel, the sons of Hadavah, 74. You see, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And so God gives this group of people that are required to lead worship. And then He gives the people who are qualified to lead worship. And then I want you to go on now with me here in these verses. And in verse 41 it says, The singers, the sons of Asaph, 128. So God has sent the person who is supposed to lead worship. He has sent the group of people qualified to lead worship. He is sending the group of people now that should lead the songs and rejoicing of worship. And it goes on and says there in verse 42, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atur, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Echab, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shoba, 139 in all. And these gatekeepers were people who were appointed by David and Samuel, 212 of them, who had a couple tasks. Their task was to, do, to be guards for who came into the temple, who left the temple. It was their job to get the different elements ready uh, and out and put away. And, and so you have the servants of the church or the servants of the temple. It goes on here and just a little bit uh, farther down and you can see there the Nethanim. It's another group of servants. There in verse 55, the sons of Solomon's servants. And, uh, and so you just keep listening here and you say, well, these are all the people that are being sent that are necessary for Israel to begin worshiping God first. And I say that tonight because if you were going to rebuild a temple, you would think that this list would start by saying, God sent the carpenters, and God sent the stonemasons, and God sent the woodworkers, and God sent this, but He doesn't. God builds His church through worship, through a relationship with Him. And when He begins to rebuild the nation of Israel, he follows suits in the exact same pattern by calling these people who were called to lead worship. And so I just want you to think about this as in the New Testament church. We see the role of priest and we know that we are all what? As born again believers in Jesus Christ, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. That means every single born again believer in Jesus Christ has the same access to God as the preacher, as, a, as a whatever title you have, that each and every person can approach the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, praying in the Holy Spirit, the priesthood of the believer. It is something that is very unique. It is something that not all denominations believe. It is, it is something that Baptists have always held firm to, that if you are a Christian and you have the Word of God in front of you, you can read it and study it and learn it just as well as I can. You see, that is the reason the Catholic Church had such a hold over the common people. You can't read the Bible. You can't interpret the Bible. It's not even in your language. You need to come to us 
to find out what you should believe. Not only that, you should come to us to be able to find forgiveness from your sins through the confessional, through uh, last rites, but yet the Protestant Reformation and this uh, making the Scriptures available to people through the printing press showed people that no, you and I have a high priest. The Bible says that that is who? Jesus Christ. And He alone makes intercession for us. And so all believers, we believe, are now priests, the priesthood of the believer. But yet we see here Levites, and uh, we see this special group of people. So not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. And that is, in my opinion, we see this person who is leading worship. Now, you might disagree with me. That's all right. You can be wrong. It doesn't bother me at all. I think you see here the called pastor who is leading the New Testament church. Not as a dictator, but yet not all Christians are called to what? Be pastors, but yet all Christians are ministers. And so we see this, that God is building in the Old Testament and it's a picture of what we see in the New Testament. You see on here in the singers, right? We have a section of our service that is dedicated to song and Worship. You said, Jay, I don't like to sing praises to God. You're going to be miserable in heaven unless God completely changes your way of thinking. You say, Jay, I don't like shouting. I don't like clapping. I don't like to be happy. Then I hope God makes you miserable the whole way up there. Because the Bible talks about what it is and the angels singing around the throne of heaven and you read in the book of Revelation those that have given their life around the throne of God singing and praising and worshiping Him. And so I want you to know that God is building worship he is building this relationship with them in the Old Testament. And we see the similarities in the New Testament during that time of singing and worshiping and praising God. You see the gatekeepers, that group of people that were responsible for, for overseeing the temple and to care for things. I think, honestly, you can see that in, in many different ways in the church. You could look at that as church security. You could look at that as a trustee. You could look at that as anything that is being used by someone to use their gifts to prepare the house of worship or the place of worship for worship. It goes on there and talks about temple servants. Those were the servants that were just supposed to do what was ever was needed in the, church, in the Old Testament temple to get done. And in the New Testament, we have an office that literally means servant. And what you would read in your Bible would be Deacon. It's just a servant. Now, in Baptist churches, we've had bad experience with, with deacon board and deacon decisions, but there is nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament, where deacons function as a hierarchy, an overseer, a group that runs around keeping their hands on the church. They are literally servants waiting on tables, serving you and your family. And so people say, well, I really want to be a deacon. Not if it's done God's way because you'll be called out at 2 a.m. to sit with a family that's lost a loved one. You'll be taking people back and forth to the hospitals that can't drive. You'll be, it's, it's a servant role. It's nothing spectacular. It's nothing, it's nothing to walk into the church and say, well, I'm the pastor of this church or I'm the deacon of this church. I was taking the trash out over there because no one else did. You know, that's what we have to get back in this mindset of is servants. And so we look at all these positions that that God is preparing in the Old Testament to do what the Old Testament worship was required. And in the New Testament, we see these very same pictures. And why do you think that is? 
The Old Testament was an example or a pattern or a foreshadow that we know the New Testament better what? Explains. We see things more clearly. And so tonight I want you to hear that God sends the people to the place of worship that He needs. And so tonight I want you to know that, that you are not an accident. You being here is not an accident. You say, Jake, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a security worker, I'm not a trustee, I'm not a deacon. But look what it goes on to say there in verse 64. The whole assembly together. He begins to list that there is more people that are coming as well. And so the church is made up of so many people with so many different gifts and skills, just like the nation of Israel was. And so tonight you say, well, Jake, I don't know what my gift is. Maybe your gift is the gift of hospitality. Maybe you have a gift of being able to work in the nursery and change poopy diapers. I don't even change my own kids' diapers, okay? Literally, less than 10 in 6 kids. I have been blessed, all right? But that might be your gift. It might not bother you at all. Maybe you don't like meeting new people, but yet you have no problems serving the meal on Wednesday night. Maybe you don't like to cook or serve meals, but you love to greet people at the front door. You see, there are so many things and gifts that God has given us and opportunities to serve. And what has happened in churches, and, and if this offends you, I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. So many people have shown up with one intention in mind, and that is to get. I'm going to sit on Sunday morning for an hour, and if you go longer than an hour, preacher, we're going to talk bad about you. I want to be out of here by 11.35, and that's it. But that is not what you were saved for. You were saved to honor God through worship, but also in service. And so tonight I want to ask you, and this is where the Lord had to make me do this, because in my notes I'm like, nope, 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 just move right on to your next point, Jake, and don't even slow down. But what ways do you feel the church, that we as a church, could do better in serving one another? One example that comes to my mind is, on Wednesday nights when you sit down to eat, you don't always have to sit with the same group of people. You could look over there and say, you know what, that single mom's been sitting there by herself for like nine weeks in a row. Just maybe, just maybe I ought to sit down across from her if you're a female and a husband, not just a male probably, and say, my name is whatever it is and uh, just wanted to introduce myself. That, that's a way that you can minister to somebody that is falling through the cracks. Uh, other areas or ways that, that you can see how God puts things together like this to make churches what they should be. And how do you feel? How do you think that most churches do with welcoming people when they do come? You don't want my honest assessment because I watch it every Sunday. No one ever takes my seat on the front row. I don't know what's up with that. But yeah, and so I, I ask that question because how many times, and you don't have to raise your hand, and I don't do this to make you feel guilty tonight, but if we're really going to be who God wants us to be, we have to have some of these hard conversations. And if you want to hate me, I'm okay with it. I got broad shoulders and enough kids at home to make me happy. So, uh, you know, I find joy there even if I can't find it with you guys. But how many times have you been guilty of just coming in and sitting down and that's where you stay? Yeah. 
I'm, yeah, he goes to the balcony and hides. No, I'm kidding. No, but, but we're guilty of it, aren't we? And sometimes we don't even think about it, right? Especially when you've got little kids and you're trying to get them to church and you just dropped them off in the nursery and some of them are in the, uh, uh, the children's wing and you sit down and you think, oh, no children. <laughs> I don't ever feel that way because Tony brings them by herself. But uh, uh, she's probably felt that way. But we have to be so mindful there's a young lady who's been coming to our church for four weeks now. Four weeks now. Her name is Stephanie. Uh, she was saved um, uh, with, uh, when Tim Lee was here, and she will be getting baptized this Sunday. Um, her husband passed away. She's from Chicago. She knows nobody. Nobody when she came here. And I asked her, I said, why did you come to church here? She goes, I have no idea. She said, I just have been thinking and driving by, and it was just like the Lord wanted me to go there. And so she goes, you know how scared I was, how nervous I was? And uh, I'm like, yeah, I know. I didn't want to come here either. But uh, <laughs> I said, I know what you're thinking. But, uh, but she came, and what she told me was, she said, there have been some ladies that have just talked to me every week. And, and she's like, I don't know their names, uh, but she starts describing. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, that's this person. And and it made a difference in her, and she came back. She came back. And that third week she was here, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. And she's going to be baptized this Sunday. And so it does matter, these gifts that God has given you. And you say, Jake, I don't have the gift of friendliness. You're just going to have to get over it and just start realizing that it's not that hard to say, Hello, Tristan, my name's Jacob Gray. Right? That's it. That's all you got to say. Don't say, is this your first time? Whatever you do, don't say that because our church is big enough and enough services, they're liable to say, I've been coming for three and a half years. I've seen it happen. I've done it. I've walked to someone and said, hey, is this your first time here? And they said, well, no, you preached my grandma's funeral or something like that. And I was like, oh. And I had to apologize. So it happens to all of us. But have you ever seen churches that don't want people to serve? Maybe it's their ministry. It's their area. It's their way of doing things. And so, you know what? We'll take care of this. Have you ever been in a situation like that in the church? I want you to hear this today from me. We have enough holes in every ministry that if you are living for Jesus, you can find a place to serve. Now, if you're not living for Jesus, we're not going to put you in a place to serve. But if you are living for Jesus and want to honor Him, there is a place for everyone. You say, well, Jake, this is a big church. we got lots of workers, more workers than we could even use. That is not true. Because the more people God sends you, the more people is required to what? Serve them. To serve them. Other thoughts about this. How could we make it easier for you to serve? See, I was, I was COVID social distancing before COVID social distancing was cool. And, uh, but yes, and that, and so I, I just really, you say, well, Jake, this has got nothing to do with the lesson. Actually, it does because you have no idea that God might be sending that family for the first time who is someday going to be the children's Sunday school teacher, who is going to be the Awana worker, 
who's going to be the choir member, which you all ought to be in the choir. That's just my personal opinion. Um, uh, the next person that serves on the kitchen fellowship meal. You, you just don't know what God has prepared them for. And so many times He has sent them. He ha- they, You know people have to show up a first time, right? You, you can't show up a second time unless you showed up a first time. All right. So we have to remember that, that these people, many of them were being sent to a land they had never been. Now, some of them were old enough to have remembered what it was like to be in Israel, what it was like to see the temple. But some of these people were first-time guests to the Holy Land. And God had a purpose and a plan for them. And so tonight, I really want to encourage you to be thinking about that and praying about that God, who have you created me to be in serving you? Because your identity is found in Jesus. Because He died for you, because He has saved you. You, That is your identity. But what task has He called you to do and to serve? Because each one of these are listed by families and by the family gifts or the family task that they had been given to do. Other thoughts. Now, you've probably all been in church long enough, most of you. Have you ever seen someone show up on business meeting night that was already mad and already ready? Oh, yeah. They didn't come to worship. They came to do business and not God's business. I've seen them come to church that way. Pastor, I need to talk to you immediately. I'm like, you just got here. I couldn't have made you mad already. The end of service, that happens a lot more, but but that's how they're there. It doesn't matter what God could have done. They've already made up their mind. This is what's going to happen. This is how things are going to be. This is why I'm here. But not only do I want to show you tonight that God sends the people to accomplish His purpose, God makes the provisions. So look there in verse 68 with me. Some of the heads of the father's household, when they came to the house of the Lord, which was in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minus of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nephtimen, dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. So not only did God provide for them all kinds of gold and silver and things to worship with, when He gets them there, He then provides them what they need to build. And how is that taken up? By a free will offering. They gave freely according to their what? Now I know you can read Their ability, they gave generously out of what God gave them. If God has blessed you financially, you ought to give generously. If you have not been blessed financially, you should still give generously. But look up here, those amounts can be different, but yet honor the Lord the same. You know, Jesus told a story about a widow woman, right? And she gave all she had. And then he says, but there are these other people who come into the temple and took their money, took their change, and threw it 
into the offering area because it would have made what? All kinds of noise. Right? That's like, oh, I'd love to bring this great big check into the offering plate today. Thankfully, we now put them at the back door and you just drop them in as you leave or come in. But just think about that tonight. And so not only has God called you with a purpose as an individual, God has blessed you to be able to use it for His work. That doesn't mean it all has to go to the local church. That means it can go to support missionaries. That means it can go to support giving out Bibles. It can support local food pantries. It can do many things. But the idea that God wants you to hoard the blessings He gives you is not found in Scripture. You are given much and God has blessed you much so that you can be a blessing to others. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some biblical principles that God has told us, right? Don't spend more than you make. The borrower is slave to the lender. There, there are, don't think that I'm saying, well, Jake, I made $10 this week. Well, give 37 to the church, right? I'm not going to Jesse Duplantis that says, well, you're broke. If you'll just put that $1,000 donation on your credit card, God will open up the windows of heaven and He will give you everything you need. That is a lie. I hope that you know that. I hope that you know that that is not scriptural. Yes, the Bible talks about those who so generously will what? Re See, I'm talking about money. Everybody got even quieter than usual. That's okay. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, but what? It's this understanding that God not only provides the people He needs, but He provides the provisions He needs to accomplish His work. We are living, and this is myself included, the most spoiled generation in human history. We have more things than anyone in all time. And we are what? The most unhappy generation of people. I, uh, <laughs> I was subbing here recently and uh, at, I'm not going to tell you the school or the class or anything like that. The Pledge of Allegiance was on the intercom. They said, please stand, say the Pledge of Allegiance. This is in Chicago. I'm not talking about East St. Louis, but in a local school district in Southern Illinois, what you and I would consider the conservative Republican voters of America, nine out of 11 high school students did not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Nine out of 11. I am telling you, there was something that went on in me that was not Christ-like. I sat there and I kept my mouth shut. I stood there and kept my mouth shut, excuse me. And I couldn't believe it. Nine out of 11. So I went back, subbed the same class because I thought, you know what? I'm deaf. They must be deaf. They didn't hear the announcement. Same thing. Nine out of 11 didn't stand and even recite the Pledge of Allegiance, didn't even acknowledge that it was going on. You know what they were doing? Bunch of creepy little kids, that's what they were. And I thought, how much do you take for granted? How much do you take for granted? And it was like the Lord just slapped me in the back of the head and said, Jake, how much do you do that? How much have I given you and you're not thankful for? How much have I given you and you just waste? How much have I blessed you and you just take it as, oh, I worked hard for that or I accomplished that 
or I did that. And God's like, I gave that to you. And so there in verses 68 through 70, we see God provides what the people need to rebuild the temple, to have a place to worship God. Thoughts? So not only does God provide the people, and not only does God provide the provision, God intends for it to be an avenue of praise. Here in chapter 3, and we don't have time to read it all, it says, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shelethiel, and his brother, and arose and built an altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written into the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offering on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. And it just goes on and tells you how they worshipped God. And so God provides people, not just for people. We don't meet here to see how many people we can cram in one building. We don't take up offerings to see how much money we can accumulate. No, it is all for one purpose, to be used to worship God. And that's what they're doing here. The temple's not built, but they can't wait anymore. They're like, we've got to get back to doing what God wants us to do. And so they just build this altar where the temple's going to be. It's almost like a, a dedication service for you. You've, most of you have been in church long enough to build through building programs. You probably remember dedication services, right? There ain't no carpet, ain't no drywall, but yet the shell's up and you go in there and have your first service, right? You probably write names on the altar that you want to be saved and different things like that. It's like that, right, that we've, we're not there yet, but man, we're ready. And that's what happens here. But I want you to notice something there in verse 3. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries. They were worried. They were worried about the people that were there that were left, that weren't Jews, that didn't want to worship God. What would they do to them? I mean, they just got out of captivity. They just got out of slavery. And so the thought of being beaten up or again is, is really on their mind. And I want you to hear this today because... When God sends you the people necessary to do what God wants you to do, and God sends the provisions of what He has called you to do, and you begin to start to praise God for what He has done, look up here. Problem people will show. It's just that simple. You say, I don't believe that, Jake. Everyone that steps through the door is sent by God to be saved and to be changed and to be made right with God. Some people are being led by... the Satan to come and God allows them, but friends, they have no intent to do anything good at all. And you're shaking your heads at me like you've been in church long enough to know that's true. Now, I'm not saying that you've been sent by Satan if you're new. Please, please don't think I'm saying that. But when God begins to bless and God begins to save and God's people begin to worship and God's people begin to work together, there will be problems. There will be things that happen. There will be difficulties. There will be growing pains. Because why? We are sinners. We're saved sinners. 
but problems happen. You say, Jake, I don't understand how churches can fight during a building program. Well, I do. See, everybody wants it what? Their way. Sometimes churches don't even get to the building program. They fight over they should borrow the money to build or not. I'll never forget. I was voted as your pastor in September. We voted in November before I even took over to build the gymnasium. And uh, we had some money raised. And I'll never forget the Lord began to speak to me saying, I don't borrow any money. Don't borrow any money. And I'm thinking, oh. I'm a Baptist. I just came from a church that borrowed money. This church has got done paying off their last note. And, and you want us to, to, to raise $300,000 to build that gymnasium sitting right there. And I'll never forget the first building committee I attended meeting as the pastor. And there's, I don't know, 15, 16 people on that committee. I don't remember now. And some of you were on that committee. We began to talk about it. And if you remember, I said, I just don't feel like the Lord wants us to borrow any money. And I thought, I'm going to be 10 miles shortest pastor in their entire history. This is going to be it. They're going to be like, no, we're going to borrow money because I told myself that if they don't listen, I'm going to resign. Now that's a terrible way to approach things, all right? But I had never pastored before. I thought Baptists just listened to their pastor. Ten years later, I can tell you, I don't have that mindset at all anymore. Uh, but And then the whole committee's like, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about it. And, and, and we begin to pray about it. And, um, and some of you have heard this story, and if you, if you have, you'll just have to celebrate with us. Wayne White called us, the electrical company, and said, you know, something's not right with your electrical bill. And I said, we've been saying that for a decade. It is high. And they said, do you know we've been charging you double the multiplier since 2001 when you built your new building? And we owe you $94,500, but we only have to pay you three years legally. But since you're a church and we want to make this right, we will write you a check for $94,500. And there's people shaking their head that we're here. This is an honest, true statement. I don't know if you know this or not, but when your building fund goes from 50 to 150, things start to move. We prayed for a whole month one time and prayed and prayed and prayed and took up an offering one Sunday of like $37,500. Boom. Then it, be, it becomes amazing because then our insurance company calls and says, you know that your inside of your gutters are damaged? I'm like, what do you mean the inside of our gutters are damaged? The water flows just like it says. Yeah, but we're going to send you a $42,000 check because your gutters are, are, are just dented up on the inside. And so you know, it's just began how it began to work and God began to provide and, and God's people began to give. And, and guess how much money we borrowed to build that building? Not a penny. We even had to, when it was over, vote to do something with the money that was still in the account. And guess what we did with it? We voted to create our missions account because God had blessed us. Now, I'm not, I'm not bragging because I didn't write all $300,000 worth of checks, okay? But I'm telling you that God provided, God blessed, God worked. I don't think it's a sin for churches to borrow money to build. I don't think it's a sin. But in that case, I think that's what God wanted because I really think He wanted to remind us that He can do amazing things if we'll just let Him, if we'll just get out of the way and trust Him. But I can promise you many churches never even get past the discussion phase because of the division phase. And I don't want to, 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 to quickly end this, but I'm... Thank you. I want you to go all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to work on this uh, here in the next couple of weeks, but I want you to see 
how problems can go from hindering what God wants you to do to completely stopping you from doing what God wants you to do. And I say this tonight in the context of this church. This church is growing and seeing people saved for one reason. Because God is doing it. That's it. You say, well, Jake, it's the singing, it's the preaching, it's the fellowship. It ain't got nothing to do with any of that. God is blessing. But I want you to know that God was blessing them too. But yet every bit of the work, every bit of the worship, every bit of the blessing stops. Look what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now when the adversaries, adversaries excuse me, of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's house and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we had sacrificed to him since the days of Eshardon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel... Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's house of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we will alone will build the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them and building and hired counsels against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And it goes on to talk about how they legally go to the king, he tells them to stop, and they they stop building the temple. All because why? Some people wanted their way, and God had said, no, you build it. And they didn't like what they heard. And that began the first ever Baptist split right there, right? Working around behind people's back and legally hiring and fight anyway. But I say that in in jokingly, but that's what you see right there. And so I want you to see this tonight because I want you to be thinking not just about what God did in Israel, but what God is trying to do here. And this is applicable or applicable, whichever the way the word is said, not just in a church setting, but in your life. I can promise you if you and your wife commit to start reading the Bible together, praying together, searching the Scriptures together, worshiping together, there will be problems. There will be people that don't like it. There will be things that Satan will use. And you need to remember, don't quit. You see, these people had been delivered from slavery had been given every bit of gold and objects they needed to worship. They had experienced a little taste of worship, but then the persecution got so strong that they quit. And friends, that can happen to you and I. Boy, I sure would love to reach more people, but you know, it's, it's hard to take care of the ones we got now. Or, you know, we're in a small town. How can you reach any more people? There ain't no more people to reach. Or you know what, I, I tell you what, I've worked in the nursery three weeks in a row. And I'm not working in the nursery anymore. And so, you know what, I'm just, I'm not coming to the early service because I don't want to get stuck working in the nursery. All kinds of things. It starts just like that. And Satan will use those things to cause you to quit. And so tonight I want you to remember that God has a purpose for your life. 
You are not here by accident. And God will use you to praise and to worship Him and to serve Him and to honor Him. And tonight I want you to hear it. Just begin to prepare for problems. Only thing I can do is say, Lord, don't let me be the problem. I just want to hear you say that word. Make sure you knew what it was. Because guess what? Each and every one of us can get in the flesh and be what? Well, I'd hurt some of you to say that. I could see it on your face. But it's true. And so tonight, be thankful for what God's doing. Be thankful that God has a purpose for your life. Be ready to praise Him and worship Him. But be on guard. That's why there were gatekeepers. That's why there were servants. That's why there were priests and Levites and singers. Because not just one group of people can run a church. Not just one group of people can serve a church. The Apostle Paul described it as what? In the New Testament. The church is like a... a come on now. A what? A body, right? A body. Not You don't need all eyes and all ears. And we all know that some people are the armpits. We know that, right? But it takes so many unique, different, called, and equipped people to be the church that God wants us to be. Just like it took so many unique, individual people to rebuild the temple and to worship God the way God wanted. Thoughts, questions, concerns. So some people think there's two Zerubbabel's here. That one is just a person that probably had that name that was uh, in Babylon, that was sent. And some people believe that the second one is actually someone who is through the lineage of the Israelites. And most likely he would have been named after him because of his preeminence or prominence or... So that's some some takes on that. Yeah, and so if you look into like questions about how is that possible, that's one of those things that come up that scholars disagree on. On who is? Is it two families that name their... It's just... But yeah, but there's lots of different opinions. But next week, and I want you to look ahead at this, we're going to be in chapter 3 in verses 12 and 13 looking at the reaction of people who had saw the first temple and who now saw this temple and wept and how some people saw the new temple and rejoiced. And we're going to look, hopefully next week, Lord willing, up at how, how we can be in the same situation but yet rejoice or weep. Anyway, I think it's going to be good. I'm still trying to work out all the kinks. but So if you study and prepare this week, really focus in on those verses there from 8 through 13. Other questions? That wasn't a hard question because I don't know the answer. <laughs> Your question wasn't hard because I don't know the answer. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Lots of different thoughts on that for sure. Huh? I don't have to be. You might get the same answer that he got. <laughs> That's a good question. So I would say that it was compassion. Because truly, uh, 
whether he would have cast them back immediately or they would have went into the pigs and killed themselves uh, or killed the pigs, the fate would have been the same. Um, that's when you get into the tough question of, of angels and demons and things like, uh, one, why are some bound and some unbound? And what does it take to bind the ones that are unbound? So if Jesus sent them straight back, or would they have went straight back because the pig died? So that's an even bigger question of if the pigs died, did the demons just stay there? And so that's a, that is a, a big, big question that I will try to get a small, small answer for next week.